Chemical Watch podcast. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. Hello, this is Kate Lowe, Global Managing Editor of Chemical Watch, welcoming you to this week's news podcast hosted by members of the Chemical Watch team. For today's episode, I'm joined from the UK by Editorial Director Geraint Roberts and Asia reporter Ellen Dalladay, and from Washington DC by North America Managing Editor Terry Highland. On the agenda today, we have the European Commission's keenly awaited chemical strategy for sustainability, which was published last week and lays out more than 50 wide ranging actions that will have a direct impact on industry. We'll also be taking a look at the decision of the Canadian government to ban six categories of single use plastics by the end of of next year and which has kickstarted the process with an official proposal to add plastic manufactured items to the country's list of toxic substances. And finally, we head to Taiwan, where the country's Environmental Protection Administration is conducting a consultation process on its proposed fees for chemicals registration, including plans for a reduced fee if companies use alternative methods to animal testing. So let's begin with Europe and the chemical strategy for sustainability, the final version of which was published last week. As we discussed in last week's podcast, the path to the final version of the strategy has not been smooth with fierce debate on a number of key policy areas. However, as expected, when it was published last week, the adopted 25 page communication text retained almost all of the policy actions from the initial DG environment draft leaked to Chemical Watch in July. The Commission published several documents to accompany the communication, including staff working documents on per and polyfluoroalkyl substances, a progress report on the assessment and management of combined exposures to multiple chemicals, and a fitness check on endocrine disruptors. Key draft proposals on endocrine disrupting chemicals, PFAS, new hazard classes to fully address environmental toxicity, persistency and mobility, and reach registration for polymers remain in the communication text. So Geraint, um, just stepping back a bit, what's the big picture here? You know, what are the strategic risks and opportunities for, for businesses? Yeah, thanks, Kate. Um, well, yeah, there, there's so much in uh, the strategy that um, it would be impossible to talk about it all here in this in this podcast. So um, it's sensible, you know, to try and look at the big picture, I, I think. Um, and I would recommend that everyone listening um, reads reads the strategy. It's about 20 pages long and that, that people also look at the annex, which is four pages long. Um, those are the key documents. Um, essentially, there are going to be winners and losers out there in the market because of because of this. Um, some some companies might be a winner and a loser, uh, depending on your 
sectors you're in and your portfolio. Um, but one thing is um, for sure that there is going to be a lot of regulatory compliance work for almost all of you. Um, over the next 10 years, the strategy will drive change in the chemicals marketplace and regulation is a powerful, if not the only driver of innovation. That's always been the case and the strategy is going to lead to a lot more new regulation. Um, firms in downstream sectors will want materials for their products that don't rely on chemicals eligible for SVHC or substance of concern status. And, and this is here, here lies the threat and the opportunity for the chemical sector. Companies in myriad downstream sectors from medical devices to tech, from textiles to cosmetics, uh, from packaging to building materials will be looking to their chemical suppliers for reassurance that their supply chains will not be disrupted as a result of the legislative changes that will be coming our way. They will want to avoid substances seen as blacklisted by candidate list inclusion, and they will try and guess which substances will in the future be restricted. All of this is gonna happen within the wider framework of the Commission's Green Deal and efforts to maintain Europe's competitiveness in the face of a rapidly growing Chinese economy and cheap fossil fuel energy in the US. The commission here is, uh, this is part of the commission's plan to put its faith in turning uh, you know, made in Europe uh, into a sort of high value brand for technologies and products that will help Europe and its export markets meet the sustainable development goals, slash their greenhouse gas emissions, and become less reliant on virgin materials, thus improving their security of supply. So I think that those are the sort of big, that's the big picture really. Okay, thanks Geraint. So um, in light of the strategy, uh, what should chemical companies be doing uh, to prepare themselves for the future? Well, I think the first thing um, chemical companies are likely to do is to look at their portfolios, what they currently um, produce or import and, and supply uh, and decide which um, returns on investment are under threat and which are safe. Um, you know, should they pay a PR firm to defend certain substances for as long as possible and fend off restrictions for as long as they can? Um, are there some markets where they have alternatives ready to sell and where they can quickly develop new or where they can quickly develop new chemistries, e.g. by tweaking their existing uh, chemistries and production processes? Um, or do they have competitors who may beat them to it in that race to market? Um, so to minimize exposure to risk, companies should assume that most of the legislative actions included in the strategies annex will happen. Uh, but it's difficult, of course, to predict the details um, of how um, they will be implemented, what the detail will be, um, exactly you know which classes of chemicals will be defined and precisely what data requirements will be um, brought in and foisted upon registrants. But I think that that kind of portfolio check is the first thing that people will be doing because the the strategy is promising regulatory action on uh, classes of chemicals which up to now have had less action um, and they're, they're promising to heighten this. So things like um, sensitizers, endocrine disruptors, PBTs, PMTs, 
um, PFAS, all these these kind of areas, polymers, uh, the list goes on. Okay, thanks, Geraint. Um, and what sort of timescale are we looking at when it comes to um, <clears throat> the impl implementation of the strategy and the adoption of the legislation? Um, well, it's interesting to note that um, amongst all the proposals listed in the annex, those related to the to reach um, have have all been given uh, an indicative timing date of 2022. So businesses should assume that many, if not all, of these proposals will emerge during the course of that year. Of course, things are frequently delayed, but it would be wise to err on the side of, side of caution, I think. Um, what we don't know yet is whether they are going to be um, grouped together and, and, and be part of a single uh, legislative proposal, or whether they will be It'll be broken down and there'll be a, a number of different proposals all going through the down the pipeline separately. Um, but if a, if a, a reach recast text, for example, has to go through the Brussels legislative pipeline um, and be formally considered by the European Parliament and the Council of Ministers, uh, it would typically be another 18 to 24 months from the, the proposals being published to the final text being agreed and adopted. And even then, some of the provisions they contain may not come into force for a number of years after the actual regulation itself comes into force. So tracking all of this is going to be a long process for all of us. Uh, but, but if a business keeps track of these developments over the next few years, it will be putting itself in the best possible position to minimize risks to its portfolio and to seize business opportunities. Uh, if the Commission proposes mandatory classification categories for endocrine disruptors, PBTs and others, um, and it, the Commission also gains the power to propose mandatory classifications for substances or, or substance groupings, as may become more, more commonly the case, and more types of substances are explicitly listed as qualifying for addition to the candidate list and authorization. Businesses can assume that the rate at which the number of substances subject to some form of risk regulatory measure, authorization, restriction, whatever, that the rate at which that happens will speed up. And grouping will only speed this up further. So as that happens over time, downstream sectors will probably start to think that instead of asking their suppliers if their materials contain any of a, a list of specific substances, it'll make more sense to ask their suppliers what substances are in the material. Not can you confirm these aren't in, but what actually is in. In other words, full material disclosure. Um, so for chemical companies and their immediate customers, the regulatory compliance workload is going to significantly increase. And, and those firms who thought REACH and CLP compliance was largely done uh, should think again. You know, your experienced staff are going to be particularly valuable. You know, the strategy is going to be great news for consultants testing laboratories and law firms, as some businesses are going to need a lot of help with developing their own strategies, their data generation, and their interpretation of their legal obligations. So we're all in for a really busy time.
Okay, thanks again, Geraint. So let's turn now to Canada, where the government has issued an order to, to add plastic manufactured items to Schedule 1 of the Canadian Environmental Protection Act, in other words, the country's list of toxic substances. In an announcement released on the 7th of October, Environment and Climate Change Canada said a listing under Schedule 1 gives the government the tools to address plastic pollution at different stages of the life cycle of plastic manufactured items, such as manufacture, import, sale, use and disposal. The move sets up further regulatory action to address plastic pollution and is part of the government's broader plan to manage plastic products, recover and recycle plastics and reach zero plastic waste by 2030. So Terry, uh, first of all, can you tell us a little more about Canada's proposal and what it means for the industry? Okay, yeah, thanks. So uh, as you'd said earlier this month, Canada's government officially made a proposal to list plastic manufactured items on Schedule 1 of SEPA. So the SEPA being the Canadian Environmental Protection Act. And Schedule 1, as you'd said, Kate, is the country's list of toxic substances. So that sounds kind of bad, being on a list of toxic substances. That also includes things like mercury, lead, and asbestos. And industry has, in fact, complained that this listing could stigmatize plastics and, and actually lead to overregulation. But but really, the, the listing on Schedule 1, if and when it's finalized, really has a more practical effect for the health and environment ministries. It would give them the regulatory tools to start proposing risk management measures under SEPA. So they would have the authority to propose regulations to address plastic products, and as you had said, potentially throughout their life cycle. Now, to be listed on Schedule 1, there must be a finding that the substance poses a risk to the environment, human health, or both. And on October 7th, just a few days before proposing the toxic listing for uh, plastic manufactured items, the government released a science assessment of plastic pollution. And that report noted the ecological hazards from plastic entering the environment. And it recommended that the government take action to address waste from macro and microplastics. Microplastics being those smaller pieces, less than five millimeters or about two inches in length. And that scientific assessment then provides the evidence or basis for recommending uh, adding plastics to Schedule 1 of SEPA and thus for the potential regulation of the sector going forward. Okay, thanks, Terry. Um, and what does this mean for producers? Um, is this a step toward a more circular economy on plastics? Well, the, the first step for the government is is to ban uh, or is a ban on certain items. And along with the proposed Schedule 1 listing and that science assessment, the government also put forward a paper of proposed ways to manage plastic products and prevent waste. And in it, the government said it would ban six types of single-use plastics by the end of the year. Checkout bags, straws, stir sticks, six-pack rings, cutlery, and foodware made from hard-to-recycle plastics. Now, all those items had two things in common. They commonly end up in landfills or in the environment, and they're difficult or costly to recycle. But in addition to the ban on those single-use items, 
the government also laid out other potential plans or actions it might take. It wants to support innovation and scaling up of new technologies to develop new forms of plastic and new ways to recover value from plastic waste. And it also wants to improve the value of recovered plastic products to create a more robust economy for that recycling and reuse. And that potentially gets you into moving beyond the mechanical recycling and into possible efforts to scale up uh, chemical recycling efforts. So that would be converting that post-use plastic material into their original building blocks uh, for new feedstocks for, for plastics or fuels down the line. But to get to that uh, large-scale viable market for recycling and reuse, you also have to look at the product development and ensure that the ability to recycle is in mind from the start. And right now in Canada, the national recycling rate is about 9%. And industry has said they are willing to kind of step in and, and uh, take on this responsibility. But they said they do need the federal government to, to help and, and step in to set standards and goals to make that happen. And the federal government here does have the ability to establish minimum recycling content targets. So for example, products would have to be made from X percent of recycled content. And in addition to encouraging or even forcing additional recycling mandates, there's also the, the idea of producer responsibility, which is giving industry targets to, to, uh, to meet and then leave it in their hands. And the, uh, the Chemistry Industry Association of Canada has pointed to British Columbia as a model for this. So British Columbia is seen as one of the leaders on recycling in Canada. It already has an extended producer's responsibility system in place where the producers are the ones responsible, both financially and operationally, for collecting all these materials. So they have an incentive to ensure their packaging can be and is recycled, sort of a cradle-to-grave system that's, that's popular in, in many European countries. And British Columbia's recycling rate is above 75%. So that compares to that 9% rate nationally uh, across Canada. And Another interesting point is in 2018, when China stopped accepting recyclables from around the world, British Columbia wasn't hit as hard. So the, the market there has shown a little bit more, a little bit more viability. And environmental groups say one main problem with the BC program is there is no enforcement mechanism in place. The idea is if you set higher recy recycling content requirements, foster the development of advanced recycling technologies, and create that larger market for recycled products, you'll have a more robust system to recycle and reuse products. And while industry and NGOs differ on the need for a ban on types of plastic, both the Chemistry Industry Association of Canada and the environmental group Environmental Defense have discussed the importance of reuse, and as they say, keeping plastic in the marketplace and not in the environment. Thanks very much, Terry. Um, so what are the next steps? Well, the government said it will accept comments until the 9th of December on its proposed management approach for plastic products, including its plan to ban those six categories of single-use products. A formal Schedule One listing for plastic manufactured items then would likely follow in the first few months of next year. And it's possible that process could be slowed down. SEPA does allow anyone within that 60-day comment period to file a notice of objection 
basically saying they disagree with this proposed Schedule 1 listing. The Chemistry Industry Association of Canada says they do not plan to file a notice of objection, but they also said their member companies likely would explore all of their potential options. But even if a notice of objection is filed, uh, if that happens, it could lead to a board of review to evaluate that, um, that objection. So another review of the science and hazards of plastic. But the environment and health ministers uh, have also, they have the option to say, no, we don't need another review. The research here is clear and we're going to go ahead and move forward without a board review. So a potential uh, formal listing of Schedule 1 still looks likely in the first few months of 2021. But what's also interesting is what this action on plastics might signal for larger SEPA reform. Now, when the government gave its speech from the throne last month, sort of laying out its agenda uh, for the next parliamentary session, and we talked about that here a couple of weeks ago, the government pledged to ban certain single-use plastics in 2021, and they also said they would start the process to reform SEPA, the country's toxic substances law, which hasn't seen substantial changes since 1999. Now, just a few weeks after that throne speech, the government has moved ahead on one of those promises to act on plastic pollution. So the question is, will SEPA reform follow? And plastic products are really just a number of materials mixed together with certain additives. And some of those additives may be chemicals that can be harmful to human health or the environment. And one reason there has been a push for SEPA reform is to address and eliminate substances of high concern like certain phthalates or bisphenols, which can be present in many plastic products. So if the government follows through on its pledge to reform SEPA, you could see a revamped chemicals law that pushes for safer, safer alternatives, including safer alternatives to those additives in current plastic products. Okay, thanks again, Terry. Finally, let's turn to Taiwan, where the Environmental Protection Administration, or EPA, is consulting on the proposed fees for chemicals registration, including plans for a lower fee if companies use alternative methods to animal testing. Now, companies must pay these fees when registering priority existing chemicals or PECs under the country's overarching chemical law, the Toxic and Concerned Chemical Substances Control Act, in September last year, the EPA made a verbal commitment to encourage the use of alternatives, such as in vitro quantitative structure activity relationships or read across data and dossiers, by reducing the registration fees for companies using non-animal based test data in their dossiers. Now to qualify for a 25% reduction in the fees, Registrants would have to be a small or medium enterprise or an R&D institute, submit in vitro or alternative test data for certain endpoints as part of standard registration dossiers, or apply for standard registration of an existing chemical a year ahead of the official deadline specified in the regulations. If a registrant meets, as, meets more than one of these criteria, it would then be eligible for a reduction of up to 75%. So Ellen, um, can you tell us, first of all, what has been the reaction to the proposals? Hi, Kate. So the proposals have 
received quite a mixed response from industry. Some parties have welcomed the move and expect that the discounts will incentivize companies to both use alternative data and complete their registrations ahead of the deadline. However, others have noted that the complexity of the EPA's review process is likely to be a barrier for companies. So currently, it seems like the EPA's reviewers are asking the registrants to clearly prove the applicability of the data by stating in detail about the computorial validation methods, data of commercialized models. And all of this is usually unobtainable for the users of the software. So this in turn has led to companies pulling back from wanting to use alternative data such as QSARS. And the EPA does provide a free help desk that companies can use to discuss their registrations, dossiers, and several parties have recommended that companies take advantage of this help desk and really discuss their data before submitting it to the EPA. But it seems like even if companies are having these discussions, then after they submit the data, the EPA is still requesting a lot of information, and that's making companies quite uncertain of how to proceed. So the EPA also hasn't clarified the financial implications if a company was to receive the discount for having used alternative data, but then it's rejected during the review process. And they also haven't clarified whether companies that have already paid for registrations using alternative data prior to the announcement will be able to receive any reimbursement. So speaking at our conference last week, Joe Whitley from Taiwan Sartec said he thought it was unlikely that the EPA would be offering reimbursements. Okay, thanks very much, Ellen. Now, in July, the EPA said it was considering an extension to the registration deadline for the first batch of PECs to at least 2023. Now, is there any update on that? And um, what are the likely next steps? Yes, so the EPA widely publicised its proposal to extend the deadline to at least 2023. But in order to do this, it will need to make a legal amendment to the regulation. And so while it currently hasn't published a draft amendment, industry is expecting it to do so before the end of the year. So last week, Joe Whitley from Sartec mentioned at our conference that there were several items on industry's wish list that it hoped would be included in this amendment. And one of these is the clarification on deadlines. And another is about the process in relation to acceptance of hazard and exposure assessments. In August, we wrote about the fact that as part of standard PECS registration, companies must submit nine information items to the authorities. Now, items eight and nine, which are the hazard assessment and the exposure assessment, are generally acknowledged to take the most time. And the first seven items must be completed before registrants can begin these assessments. So once again, due to the impact of COVID-19, the EPA has been allowing companies to submit the first seven information items and receive a registration completion code and then they need to submit the hazard and exposure assessment at a later date. The EPA included this 
as an exemption under the guidance for PECS registration, which it published in June. But since the guidance doesn't carry the same legal weight as the regulation, the EPA has continued to stress that the guidance is just for reference and to help companies preparing dossiers. Industry has been quite uncertain about whether to follow this exemption, since there's no clear timeline of when these exposure and hazard assessments need to be submitted later. So Mr. Lee also noted that industry is keen to see where the clarification on this will be included in the amendment. And so we're just going to have to keep an eye out for when the EPA publishes the draft, but hopefully it will be before the end of the year. Okay, that's great. Thanks. Thanks very much, Ellen. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. So thank you again to Geraint, Terry and Ellen for sharing their insight into today's stories with us. And thank you to you, our audience, for listening to today's episode. We hope you found it valuable. If you would like to find out more about the topics from today's discussion, please head over to the Chemical Watch website at chemicalwatch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Until then, goodbye. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. Chemical Watch Podcast.